What's the church being the church? And, and a church being the church is, is one that answers yes to this question. Are we willing to contend for each other? Are we willing to contend for each other? Are we willing to fight? Are we willing to be there for each other? This is the question of what it means to be a church. And like I said, sometimes it's hard to describe what it means to be a church, but it's easier to see it. A couple years ago, my brother went through the, the, one of the hardest, time, the hardest time in his life where his marriage suddenly ended. Uh, it was, it was uh, very sudden, very painful. Um, there's never been a time more devastating in my brother's life. He went through a lot of grief and, and, and worry about the future. What's he gonna, how's he going to care for his young girls? And a few months after the separation, my brother and I had a moment where we were standing out at the Oregon coast. We we're just kind of talking, reflecting on these last few months and how hard it was for him to be going through this this divorce and, and, and uh, just wrestling with all these questions about the future. It had been so brutal. But there was a silver lining in the middle of all this for my brother, and it was the fact that the church was the church for him during that time. He had just started going to this large church in, in the Bend area, and a pastor there just happened to notice him, happened to notice that he was going through a hard time, and he called him one day, not knowing anything of what was going on in his life, and my, my brother just spilled uh, to this, this guy, this pastor at this church, and they just developed a relationship where this pastor would call him on a regular basis, help him process through what he was going through, even introduced him to, to a, a lawyer who could help him through what he was going through and, and providing a place for him and his girls to heal. Sometimes we don't know what the church being the church looks like until we see it. And I remember hearing my brother talk about how grateful he was and thinking two things. Thinking like, man, I'm so grateful that that pastor noticed him. I'm so grateful that he called him. I'm so grateful that, you know, we live seven hours apart, but there was a church family in Bend, Oregon that cared for him. And the second thing I thought was, okay, who, which calls am I missing? Who do I need to be calling? How can I be more aware of what's going on in my church. And of course, that's not just a call for, for a pastor, that's a call for all of us, church. How can we be aware? How can we step into those places that are, that are difficult with people? We may not feel like it, but according to Scripture, we're the children of God, and we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so God's given us everything we need to powerfully enter into each other's lives and encourage each other to lift each other up. God, we have the presence and power of God with us in any situation, and it could start as simply as a phone call, making that call, checking in, a text message, checking in. If you believe in Jesus, you have the authority and the ability to contend for others, to fight for others. You have the presence and power of God in you, and in Jesus, you have everything that you need. So with that in mind, we're going to read these verses that talk about how the church operates like the church here in the end of James, starting in verse uh, 513. We'll read it together. It says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
let, the, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, guys. Good job. So as we dive into this passage, I just want you to have this picture. What if we did this exceptionally well? What if we practiced what James laid out without fail? I think we'd be an unstoppable church. I think we'd be an unstoppable church. Prayers for healing would be answered. Prayers for... Uh, for distress in each other's lives, for stressful situations would be answered. We'd be a place of peace and healing, a hospital in a hurting world. So this is the call. This is James' call to contend for each other. And here's kind of the point as we open up today. James is telling the church this. He's saying, God calls us to contend powerfully for each other, both spiritually and physically. So there's a, there's a massive spiritual element to what's going on here. There's also the physical element of healing. And it's evident throughout this chapter that James is painting this beautiful picture of, of what a church should be, what biblical community looks like. It's one that, that is in the game with each other. It's a one that is connected directly to God. It's a one that values prayer, and prayer not only alone, uh, but prayer together. And so I hope when you, when you see this, when you see what James describes, that you're on board. You're like, yes, I, I want to be that type of church. I want to be a church that cares and loves and practices these things so that we all, uh, we all are, are strong in, in Christ. So what I'm going to do is kind of break down, pretty simple. I'm just going to go over what James talked about here. I'm going to break it down in terms of four practices of biblical community that we'll be looking at today. These are four things that we can do. Not, not necessarily what we believe, but four things that God gave us to do practically that we can walk into, that we can choose to walk into more and more each day. And, and these are the four things we're going to talk about today. The first one's kind of cheating. It's kind of two things in one. So it's really five things. Um, but it's this. Pray during times of suffering and pray for the sick. Praise God in a joyful spirit. Confess sins for our spiritual healing and confront those wandering away. If we commit to practicing these 4.5 things, we will become a deeper church. We will become a deeper church. We will grow in our passion for God. We will grow in our passion for the lost, and we'll grow in love for each other, because that's really what this is about. What, what, what is, is going to speak more to, to the world is how much we love each other. That's what, that's what the Bible says in 1 John. They'll know, they'll know us by our love. And depending on where you're at with God, you may see a list like this, and it may, it may seem 
doable, like it may get you excited, like, yes, I want to practice these things. Yes, I want to grow deeper and, and, and pray more for each other. Or it may seem really daunting, like confess my sin, confront people. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not wired that way. And so it may seem doable, it may seem daunting, and it is. It, it, for those of you who feel like it's daunting to confess, it can feel that way. Like if there's something that you are really nervous to confess, if there's something you've been hanging on to and silently suffering, like, a, like, a, like just a, 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 an addiction or something in your life that you've just been trying to like hold on to privately, that's going to eat at you and eat at you and eat at you until you let it go. This act of confession. In the same way, God may have in your mind somebody that you need to call, you need to confront, you need to, an issue that you need to deal with that you've just been avoiding for years and years and years. And James gives this promise like, hey, if you just take that step of confronting this person, it will save them from death. Like, that's a powerful statement. And what if we got really good at doing that, really good at just, hey, brother, sister, I'm worried about the direction of your life. And sometimes we're afraid to take those steps of confrontation because we're afraid of being misunderstood. Like, what will they think? What will, will they feel like I'm judging them? And yet God calls us right into the middle of the fray there. Because the truth is, you're going to be misunderstood when you pursue Jesus. All the disciples were, all the apostles were, all the prophets were. When you pursue the things of God, there will be moments where you will be misunderstood by the world, no matter how how perfect your language is, right? No matter how humble your posture is, that you still might be misunderstood. So it's easy to look at a list like these practices and have it feel daunting. Or if you're on the side where it's like, yeah, I'm doing these things. I'm actually, I actually have a group that's meeting and we're, we're sharing these things or we're talking about these things or, you know, I feel like I'm growing in these things. I just want to cheer you on. Like, keep going. Keep meeting. Uh, keep growing that circle. So this act of confession doesn't need to happen in a large group, right? It can happen with two or three brothers or sisters. You can share what's going on in your life. And I want you to know that if this does feel daunting, uh, we have the power of God in us, and the Holy Spirit loves to teach us on the fly. He loves to just put us out there and teach us on the fly. Right? So there's no amount of preparation that will make up for God showing up in the moment. Because what God does is he works more through your obedience than your competence. God works more through your obedience, you just taking that step, than your competence. And I want to give you an example here from Scripture. In Luke 12, Jesus is sending his disciples into conflict. He's sending his disciples into conflict. Uh, into conflict with the, the Pharisees who, if you think about it, the disciples were like kind of uneducated fishermen. And here he's sending him, the Pharisees have been like trained and they've been in school all their lives. They know everything. And so, but you know, he's, I'm going to send you a sheep among wolves. Here you go. But this is what, what Jesus says to them on the way out the door. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. <laughs> this is how God does it. It's obedience. It's not what you know. It's, it's who you know. 
who you believe in. And so I think there's a principle here that we need to capture, that whatever God calls us to, whatever, uh, whatever God gives us to do, that he is going to show up when we take steps of obedience. And that's called faith, is, is hearing God tell us to do something and doing it in faith, even if it feels way beyond us, way out of our league. Um, the God, God will show up in those big moments, and we just need to let God work. So we're going to go ahead and look at this first practice from James with this in mind. James tells us to pray when suffering and pray for the sick. Pray when we're suffering. And he says this specifically to us. So before he goes and turns towards a pray for the sick in community, he's like, pray when you're suffering, when you're down, when you're discouraged, learn to pray. And it sounds easy, it sounds simple, but the question is, do we do that? So the, the Greek word here for trouble, James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them, let them pray. And the, and the word here, it means any kind of evil or affliction you might be suffering. It's a broad term. Right, it's a broad term. Any amount of trouble. So you have trouble every day of your life. Jesus said as much. He said, you know, let, let each day has enough trouble of its own. Just focus on today. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you experience trouble most every day of your life. You run into trouble. And, it's, and it seems simple in those moments to pray, but it's, it's actually difficult to put it into practice. Are we taking our trouble to Jesus? And maybe a better question is, what does a lack of prayer uh, do to us? If we don't pray in those moments, what does it do to us? Well, there was a recent study from the University of Alberta that confirmed that we're living in the most anxious time in the history of our country. People are more anxious than ever. And especially my generation, the millennials. If you're a millennial, raise your hand. Yeah? All right, anxious? And Gen Z, which is like the generation right below us, they say 18 to 23. If you're 18 to 23, raise your hand. All right, Lloyd, sweet. <laughs> At heart, right, Lloyd? At heart? But this is what the University of Alberta said. They said 35% of students will experience a panic, uh, panic attack due to stress at some point. And mental health advisors on campus said requests for help and anxiety uh, with anxiety and depression are sharply rising. Then they said this. They said in a survey, half of millennials, those between 24 and 39, said that they had left a job at least partly for mental health reasons. For Gen Z, those between 18 and 23, the percentage spikes to 75, compared with just 20% among the general population. We do. We live in an anxious time. It's, it's different uh, than it was like 50, 70, 90 years ago. Like my grandpa worked like one job his whole life, right? And we, we encounter difficulty and we're just anxious, right? So I want to ask you what, are you, what are you willing to do about your stress? Are you willing to invite God into your stress? Are you willing to live out the wisdom of James 4, 6 and draw near to God in prayer? And not like a, hey, how you doing, God, prayer, but like, God, I really need you right now. Like if you read the Psalms, you'll see how desperate David was and the other Psalm writers for the presence of God in their life every day. We have to get to a point where we're actually desperate for prayer. 
Like, that's the Christian response to trouble, is being desperate for God, seeking his presence every day in prayer. There's a pastor I listen to sometimes from New York City who described how things were, basically how he survived the year 2020 in New York City during the outset of the pandemic when everything was crazy, when, when no one was on the streets of New York, when everybody was getting sick. Um, his wife almost died from COVID early on. He's a, he's a guy in his 40s. And, and so he, in the middle of the chaos and disorientation, and, and his church was just humming along, and then this thing called COVID came and, like, shut things down. And so in the middle of chaos and all this stuff going on, what this pastor from the city would do is he would hop on his motorbike, and he would just fly out of the city. And he would go to... to uh, Pennsylvania and just take the, the, the back roads of back roads, as far out of the city, as far out of urban life as he could, and he would just he would just fly. And he said when he was on his bike, he would scream to God. He, he, that's why he tried to get as far away from the city as he could. Um, but he would just scream to God, and he would, he would say, God, what are you doing right now? I can't take any more of this. He would just, like, lift it all up. He would literally cry out, yell, scream. And this is how he practiced casting his cares on God. He would get far away from everybody, and he would just let it out. And I don't know if this is part of your practice with God, but I'm encouraging you to make it part of your practice with God. Literally scream at God if you need to. And get out of your house. Get out. Get away and just practice casting your cares on God. As it says, as we talked about in James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just let it out. And sometimes in order to let it out, we have to get away. It's probably not good to do that in the office. You know, that's probably not the best place to let it out. And Jesus practiced getting away, going to the mountainside where nobody else was there. His disciples would try to track him down and follow him around. And he was annoyed by it. But we need those places. I know, because you know what? Nobody can bear the weight of what you're carrying right now. Nobody can bear the weight of your trouble except for God. Your spouse can't do it. Uh, a counselor can't do it. A friend can't do it. You actually need to engage God in sharing those troubles with him. Only God can do it. And so that means we need to incorporate these solitary places in our lives. That'll actually make us healthier when we get together as a community. Like if you've spent time wrestling with God, if you've spent time casting your cares on God, you can come into community um, it, with a little bit, in a little bit better place, right? In a little bit better place, or God will have already been at work in your life. And if you haven't done that, that's okay. There are brothers and sisters here that want to pray with you. But what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to get away every day. I've been trying to go to the woods every day if I can. Just try to get away from where I can't see people. You know, I used to go to the dock, but that's too crowded, you know, too public. Um, so I just try to get away. And I don't usually scream, uh, just so you know. Um, I'm not, it's not my vibe as much. Sometimes I, I yell, but not, not often. Um, but yeah, that's, this, is, this is that practice of, uh, of, uh, of praying during suffering that James calls us to. So as James kind of flips the script, he goes from 
from praying while suffering to praying for the sick. And one of the shocking things I discovered about this passage is you read it and it's like, okay, get the elders together, pray for the sick. That's something we should do. Um, we, have a, we have an advisory team here that acts as elders. It's me, Brian, Lloyd, Karma, and Brent. And so if, if we do have a sickness here, we'll gather around, we'll pray for you. Just like let us know, and, and some people do, but we wanna, we wanna pray for that. But what I found interesting is the word they use for sick here is a Greek word, kamnanta, and it actually, is, it can be translated sick, but often it's translated um, worn out or exhausted. That if you're worn out or exhausted, let the elders gather around you and pray for you. Anoint you with oil. Pray for the weary. Pray for the worn out. Pray for the tired. And there are times in our life where we are physically sick and we need people to gather around us and pray for us. But there are probably a lot more times in your life where you could describe yourself as exhausted. Right? Exhausted, worn out, weary. This tells me something. God doesn't want us to live in a state of exhaustion. God doesn't want us to, life to feel like it's a hamster wheel that we just can't get off. God wants, uh, God doesn't want us to serve or, or work till our eyes bug out of our heads and we're useless to everyone. And in order to do this, it is about rest, but it's also about sharing your tiredness sharing your exhaustion, and for the church to be an okay environment, to share that. I am really weary. Would you pray for me? I'm really exhausted. Will you pray for me? This goes back to the classic, like, Sunday morning, 10.05. Hey, how you doing? Awesome. Hey, how you doing? Great. Hey, how you doing? I'm fabulous. Very rarely is it, hey, how you doing? I am exhausted, tired, and I barely hear. <laughs> right? And it's okay. You don't have to feel like you're a downer, right? But you can be honest. This is a place where, where we want to encourage and, and, and love and pray. And we're, we're called to pray for the tired. A great image of this goes way, is from way back in the Old Testament, way back to Moses in Exodus 17, Israel is, is out of Egypt, and they find themselves in a battle with a, with a people called the Amalekites. And so that the people would know that God is bringing the victory, he, he has Moses raise his hands. He has Moses raise his hands, and, and as long as Moses' hands are up, the Israelites are winning the battle. As soon as he lets them down, they start losing. And even though, like, people's lives are on the line, Moses is getting tired. And th those arms start slipping. And so this is what happens in the middle of that. It says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side. Sorry, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So that's what we do. That's what we do for each other. You got something hard in your life going on? Let us come and hold up your hands so that God can bring the victory. Right? You've got a burden that, that God's put on your heart. You've got a ministry. You've got something that God's doing. Let us come and hold up, hold up your hands. Hold up your arms. 
That's what, that's what we're called to do. Sometimes people will tell us they need that. Sometimes we need to sense, uh, sense what's going on. But we can bring our sickness and our tiredness and our weariness into the family of God. I've got two minutes to do the last three points, so it might be pretty quick here. <laughs> yeah, this will be the, the, short, the Cliff Notes version. Um, but the second practice of biblical community is to praise God in a joyful spirit. So he says, is anyone happy? Let them sing praises. There's something about gathering together and, and singing praise that, that draws others towards God, right? Our praise, the, our, our joy should direct people towards God. Um, this word for happy, James says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. It literally means a cheery spirit. If you're feeling joy, that's what, that's what God wants you to feel. God is not a downer. Like, God, God wants you to operate from a place of peace and joy. When we pray for each other when we're exhausted, it's, it's so that we can experience the joy of the Lord again. Because that's what changes things. You know, if, if we're, uh, yeah, I mean, people want to be invited into a family that's full of joy and peace. If we're good news, God wants us to look like good news, right? And so, James says, let them sing songs of praise. You know, when you're flying down the freeway and you have, like, your favorite song just blasting on the stereo, those are the good moments of life, right? That's joy. And so this is, like, joy directed back to God. We express the joy in our hearts uh, through, through song. And obviously, not everybody likes to sing. I'm a music guy, but I know not everybody is. But it's this, like, expression of joy. You, you could even think of, like, singing songs of praise. It's like joy is expressed through art, Right? What's, what's your artful medium, right? What's the thing that, what's the way that you express your joy to the world? So the third practice, again, sorry, cliff notes here, um, but the third practice of biblical community can be tough. It's to confess sins for our spiritual healing. James connects confession of sins to healing. That when we come in and we share the, the stuff in our lives that's kind of ugly, but that we want freedom from, that's when God grants that. That's when God frees us. And I'm convinced that this practice of confession, making church this safe place where, hey, cool, man, I'm struggling too, where we can share about what, what, uh, what we're struggling with, that unlocks the door to deeper healing and deeper community when we're safe enough place to, to share what's going on and to, uh, to lift each other up, whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever, if it's an addiction, if it's a reoccurring thing that, that um, has, you've just struggled with for a long time, when you keep those sins hidden, it kills your soul. It rots your soul. Sin is like a cancer. Those hidden sins are like a cancer that really rot your soul. They break your relationship with God. That's what sin does is it breaks our relationship with God. And that's why we need, need to practice confession, not once, but like every week. Every week. Maybe get that group of, of guys or gals that you can share your, your stuff with and that aren't going to be like, ooh. But like, I'm with you. You know, we, yeah, let's, let's walk this out, right? People who are not going to be horrified. Oh my gosh. But they're like, you know what? I, I've struggled with that too. 
that's, that's the kind of confession, that's the kind of environment that we need in order to grow in our faith. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The fact is, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. It never feels comfortable to confess, but it's absolutely critical for our spiritual health. It's absolutely critical for us to keep going. And I'll say this, there's a big difference between confession and transparency. And the, the difference is this. You can be transparent about what's going on in your life, but confession means agreeing with God that it's a sin. Right? So it's like, ah, I don't know about this. But confession is this choice, like, I'm going to agree with God that this is sin, and I'm choosing to turn. Right? So that's the difference between confession and transparency. And I think this is an area where we can grow as a church is to create these, these circles, to create this kind of community that's like comfortable with struggle, that's comfortable with, with helping people and encouraging and pushing each other to, towards, uh, to, towards more Christ-likeness. And so that happens through confession. And the last one is everybody's favorite, confront those wandering away. All right, we're going to go confront people this week. Whoever we see. No, um... It's a strange person that enjoys confrontation to me, right? Confrontation, I'll, for me, it, it always costs, it feels like it costs me something, right? Because it's always, it's like putting the relationship on the line. I don't know how this person is going to respond. I, I, I don't know, you know, if this person's going to receive what I have to say in love or, or if they're going to turn around and run and I'll never talk to them again. But conf confronting in love is what we're called to do. We were called to love each other enough that if we see, see uh, someone going down a road away from God that we interject, not, not forcefully, but, but like a brother or a sister, we, we, we make an appeal, we plea, hey, come back to Christ, come back, come back to the community. And, you know, there have been times where I've been successful in that, and there have been times where I've failed, or I've, I've shared, and I've, I've tried to, you know, tried to help people get on the right track, but it just doesn't go the way I want it to go. But I think we need to remember the heart of God. Jesus talked about, uh, gave a story of, of there being a pen of 100 sheep, and one wandering off. You, you, hopefully you remember this story. One sheep wanders off, and there's 99 still in the pen. And the good shepherd runs after the one. A hundred is a pretty easy number for us, because we're about a church of a hundred. So, so that's good for us, right? One wanders off. We run after that one. There's more joy in heaven and one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons. Like, stop the party and go after the one. And that doesn't mean we'll always be successful. But we got to try. We got to try. And, uh, and, and if, if, I, um, if I quit because I've failed in this, I wouldn't be here. You know, there, there are times where I'm successful, there are times where I'm not, but we're still called to press in, we're still called to make that plea. And so church, this call at the end of James, it's a call to get serious, to get serious about your faith, about practicing your faith. Take the opportunities that are in front of you. If you feel like Alpha is a great place for you to start, do Alpha this summer. 
Uh, if you need to get into a, if you want to get into a group, get into a group. I know in, in summer it's tough because groups are kind of here, there, and everywhere, but this fall we're starting groups again. So, so take the opportunities in front of you. Get serious about your faith. Get serious about contending for each other. Be willing to fight because, because uh, God loves each of us equally. And God calls us into a relationship where we love each other like we love ourselves. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these, uh, these verses here at the end of James that, that just challenge what we do, that really shape what we do as a church, what we're called to, this ongoing work of discipleship, God. Prayer, praise, confession, and even sometimes confrontation. So, Lord, we submit this to you, God, and I ask that you would help us to, uh, to grow in this. That you, uh, you would, I would ask that you help us to practice this, to, um, to, uh, to, to make the step, make the turn. And if it needs to start in a place where we're suffering and we just need to, to get out and cry out to you, I pray that you would, you, would, you would just push us this week, that we get up a little earlier, that whatever it needs to be, that we just take that time. Lord, if we need to press into community, I pray that you wouldn't, you wouldn't hold us back, that you wouldn't keep us locked in fear, but that you'd allow us to take a step towards somebody this week, that you allow us to share something. Um, God, that you would build, uh, continue to build this kind of community here in Blaine. It's what Blaine needs. It's what we need. God, we don't, we don't want to wither on the vine. We want to grow and be fruitful, God, and, and so you call us to practice. Lord, I pray that you would fill each of us with, with your spirit today. God, this, these practices are not things that we're just called to do and figure out, but it's actually empowered by the spirit of God. You actually show up. God, if we don't have anything, we have you, and that's enough. We can walk into any situation because you meet us there. So, Lord, I pray that you would just be with us this week, uh, that you would walk, walk right with us, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, we're going to close in prayer this morning, or prayer, we're going to close in worship this morning. If you need prayer, I'll be hanging out over here. would love to pray with you. I'm just glad to have you back, church, uh, and we'll, uh, after this, I'm going to pray over the meal, too.